This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 84, The Past, Present, and Future of Paying Your Taxes. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your hosts, Mark Willis and Holly Bach, invite you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Happy tax season, everybody. Well, wait a minute. That's not exactly a happy season, is it? Well, <laughs> anyway, welcome to our show, uh, Not Your Average Financial Podcast. And with me in the studio today is Holly Bach. Welcome, Holly. Thank you, Mark. And my name is Mark Willis. Glad to have you guys with us. And so in honor of the Internal Revenue Service and their annual service to us, uh, is that who they're serving? I'm not sure. Uh, their acronym, let's just read it aloud here, is T-H-E-I-R-S, the IRS. Um, just think about that for a minute. What's that spell? <laughs> I'd also like to read the official IRS mem- motto, which is, we have what it takes to take what you have. All right, I'll be here all night. Be sure to tip your waitress. <laughs> all right, so the, that was uh, supposed to be a joke. It's a dad joke, I guess. But um, you know, the first joke, the first tax joke, was imposing the income tax on Americans in the first place. <laughs> so yeah. a lot of people don't realize that before 1913, there was literally no income tax. The IRS was not even as old as the Ford Motor Company, if you can imagine that for a minute. Imagine keeping everything you earned when you made income for your family or your business from your job. You know, I call it a joke because literally it was first established as a temporary uh, coverage for the lingering costs of the Civil War, and it only was supposed to apply to the most wealthy citizens. So it was started in the late 1800s, and then it became permanent in 1913 to cover world, the, what was going to be World War I. Uh, it is estimated that less than 1% of Americans would have had to be subject to the income tax when it was first rendered constitutional. And that was a big deal too, by the way. Uh, it's, in, in, it's really important to realize that the income tax was literally not considered constitutional when it was first proposed for a lot of reasons. So, uh, I mean, uh, let's be honest. I love saving on paying taxes. I love helping my clients save on their taxes. Most importantly, I love seeing how saving taxes legally of course, legally, is directly related to better living the American dream. And so many people think that there just isn't much you can do to save taxes. And that's just a matter, you know, it's just a matter of plugging in numbers. So thus, if you get the numbers in the right spot, there's really not much more you can do. And that's actually wrong. I mean, that's not the case. It's a twofold problem, I think, why most people maybe think that way. Um, First is too many CPAs and accountants are just poor communicators. And second, too many of us don't want to learn something new or pay for advice on what to do. So you might be trying to find the cheapest and easiest way to do your taxes, and there are thousands of accountants out there allowing you to do that, and they're perpetuating the problem Mm -hmm. because there are strategies and you have options. Um, So what we're going to do in this episode is set forth um, a couple different strategies in our coming, this one and our coming episodes. So be sure to listen to the end as the last strategy has the ability to really revolutionize um, not only paying less out in taxes, but actually helping you gain wealth on paying your taxes. So a little bit of a teaser there. So um, while it's funny and it's easy to kick around the IRS, the truth, however, is that they're only doing what is necessary to support a nation that's got a 
major spending problem. I think we can all agree mm-hmm. on that. Um, without the IRS, truly, we'd be even we'd be in even worse shape than we already are. Uh, many people may not remember, but taxes have not actually always been so low, as low as they are today. Uh, We've been in a historically low tax rate environment since the 1970s. You bring up a good point, Holly. I think it'd be really fun to tell our listeners a story, and we put this together as dramatically as we could. So it's amazing to look back on history and see how incredibly fast taxes were raised uh, right after they were first instituted in this country. I mean, they really start out small. It's like the uh, the toe of the camel under the tent, right? Uh, but then they really dramatically go up super fast, something that literally we have not seen in our lifetimes, but we have had in this country in really just the last century. So uh, allow us to take you back in time to 1929. Uh, in 1929, the lowest tax bracket was from $0 to $4,000 of taxable income. That's after deductions and so forth. So in 1929, the bottom bracket the poorest working people paid an income tax of 1.5%. That's it. That's all they paid. The average salary in 1929 was $1,400. So if you had a salary of $1,400 after deductions, maybe you didn't pay any income tax at all. And even 1.5% is pretty low. So, you know, 1.5% is, you know, still not nothing, but it's, it's still pretty low. The top bracket, of course, was 25%, and you had to make over $100,000 a year back then. The average income today is 60000 bucks. so the top bracket back then was somewhere around $3 million in today's dollars, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the Depression hits in 1929, and Roosevelt comes in and begins the New Deal. The lowest bracket in our taxes at that point uh, fr- went from 1.5% up to 4%. So that sounds like a small little tiny increase, but think about that. That almost triples your taxes in one year on the poorest working people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now the top bracket is triggered at only thirty-eight thousand bucks of income, not a hundred thousand bucks of income. Still, still a lot of money in those days, but that lowered the threshold to kick it into kick us into a higher bracket. They also raised the top marginal bracket to sixty-three percent if you earned a million dollars or more. Very few people made it, of course, back then, but that was still a very high marginal rate. That's a huge hit. Yeah. So um, now let's fast forward a couple years to 1940. So um, in 1940, the bottom bracket gets raised from 4% all the way up to 10% on the first $2,000 of income and 13% on the next $2,000 of income. Again, almost triples your taxes over the course of one year. I mean, can you imagine if that happened to you today? You know, you have the taxes you pay today, and then all of a sudden next year they say, oh, by the way, whatever your tax you paid this year, expect them to be about double next year. (laughs) Ouch. Yeah. (laughs) I think I would um, work even harder for those (laughs) deductions. Um, So now you're looking at an average rate of 11.5% on your first $4,000 of income. Just 11 years earlier, it was one and a half percent. Wow. So in 11 years, went from one and a half to 11 and a half. I mean, that's a tenfold increase on the poorest working Americans to pay for World War II. And the 25% bracket gets dropped down further to only $18,000 of income. It was $100,000 of income in 1929, and now they've jacked the top marginal bracket to 79% on incomes of about $5 million. Wow, 79% on the top marginal bracket. Okay, so in 1942, just two years later, now we're really getting into the war, and it's really costing our country money. 
And uh, the first $2,000 of income gets jacked all the way up to 19%. The first 2,000 bucks. Then the next $2,000 earned is at 22%. So the average income on your first $4,000 in 1942 is 21% taxed. It was 1.5% in 1929 in less than a generation. It's already up to 21% to fight the world war. Uh, that's virtually a 20-fold increase, and it's a massive increase in government taxes. The top tax bracket then kicks in at $4,000, $4,000 at 26%. That's a higher bracket than the richest people paid in 1929, if you think about that. And they raised the top bracket to 88% taxed, 88% taxed on your income above a certain threshold of only $200,000. It was $5 million previously. Can you see how they're squeezing that blood out of that turnip? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so then fast forward just another two years, I mean, two short years, 1944. Um, they raised the bottom bracket again to 23% on the first $2,000 earned and 25% for the next 2000 Now the taxable income is taxed at 24% on your first $4,000. Um, don't forget that 25% was the top rate at over $100,000 of income in 1929. So now our, I mean, like the, everyone, like the poorest of the poor are being taxed at the top rate of just, you know, a couple years ago. Mm. Um, so you've got 25% tax on incomes over 2000. Oh, and by the way, between 1929, 1944, incomes basically double due to inflation. So you also have to remember that folks are dealing with bracket creep here, um, which is a phenomenon of moving slowly into higher taxes because you're earning more just to keep up with the cost of living and the cost of bread and groceries. You're not actually making more, your lifestyle's not increasing, but you're hitting higher brackets because of inflation. Um, so then they raised the top bracket up to 92%. Wow. 92%. Can you imagine? You're only walking away with 8%. In the land mean. of the free, right. Wow. Um, and so that 92% was on incomes above 200000 I mean, at that point, the person making 200000 is not making much more no. than the people, you know, that are in the lower tax brackets. Um, and, and this is all in 1944. So, you know, how do we pay for the war? Well, we raise taxes on the working poor and increase the taxes on white collar workers as well. Wow. So don't forget that when we were imposing those victory taxes, and they, they called them that, they called it victory taxes. In fact, they had um, commercials that actually had people singing songs about how happy they were to pay their victory tax. Uh, so they also included a bunch of excise taxes. So new taxes, just pulling money out of our services, stuff like the telephone tax and things like that. They also instituted something called the withholding tax. So we all take it for granted. The withholding tax is taken for granted today. But back in 1944, it was a brand new thing. So from 1913 to 1943, nobody had taxes withheld from their pay. You just sent your tax money in the following April to uh, the IRS that you had hopefully saved all year long. But in order to pay for the war, the government really needed that cash, like right away. They couldn't wait for April the following year. Plus, they were also worried that taxes were going up so fast that Americans would really have a hard time saving that money. They thought maybe it would get spent and they wouldn't have the money to pay the tax the following April. So the government came up with the idea for the withholding tax. Take the money directly out of people's paychecks, out of American paychecks as they earned it. The only way they got this in 
uh, to the law books was because it was during the war. People were dying. You weren't going to complain that someone was going to take money right out of your paycheck to send it in to cover the cost of the war. Uh, government used this patriotism of the war to institute the withholding tax. Okay, So in 1946, the war finally comes to an end. Finally comes to an end. And we're hopefully going to get some tax relief as well. So they do. They do reduce the taxes. They reduce the bottom bracket, uh, the to- bottom bra- uh, tax bracket from 23% to 20% on the first $2,000 earned. And they lowered the top tax bracket from 92% all the way down to 91%. <laughs> All the way down. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's as low as the taxes ever went. We demobilized the troops. We saved the world, you know, and they all came home and we no longer had a war to pay for. And we didn't lower the taxes before the war uh, to, to the point from where, the, um, where they were before the war started. So the reason why we didn't lower taxes further uh, is because of all the debt that w- the war built up. A lot of the New Deal programs that were instituted in the 1930s and 40s. The war became, uh, the war taxes really became permanent. We didn't get a, re- a real reduction in taxes until JFK came in in 1964, where he lowered the bottom tax bracket back down to 16%. That's what we got. It was 1.5% in 1929, and they lowered the top bracket to 77%. That was the big JFK tax cuts from 91% down to 77%. And we didn't really get any other tax reductions again until the 1980s. It was in the 1970s then that there was tons of inflation to pay for additional wars, government programs, you know, stuff like missions to the moon and Vietnam and the Great Society programs. All that money printing uh, was going into our coffers and creating inflation. That was, again, as you mentioned, Holly, it was bracket creep that really pushed people into higher tax brackets. Without the government having to change the tax law at all or raise taxes on us directly, inflation is like the hidden tax. It's the politically safe way to raise taxes on people is to institute inflation. It's a stealth tax. Taxes finally began to come down and then fell dramatically in the early 80s, and they've been remaining historically very low for these last 35 years. Many young adults, uh, including myself, don't ever remember a high-tax environment. Yeah. So this is great news, right? We're in a low tax environment for as far as the eye can see. And no economist in their right mind thinks that taxes will ever go out there ever again. Um, But unfortunately, that maybe couldn't be further from the truth. Um, The last time we were in our current situation with how much government debt we have as a percentage of our gross domestic product is when we were fighting a war, a world war. So now we're mm. um, at the end of the longest bull market in human history, a time when you're making a ton of money. Shouldn't you be able to pay down your debt? I mean, shouldn't that help? How can it be that the government is still posting the biggest deficit this country has ever seen? I mean, month over month, it just increases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, according to the, to the New York Times, the federal budget deficit swelled to $779 billion in fiscal year 2018. So the deficit rose nearly 17% year over year because um, it previously was at $666 billion um, in 2017. Wow. If you're, if you're looking at your net worth statement and it's going down 17% every year, that's, that's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's not just government debt. However, it's a, it's a thread that's strung right through every slice of our economy, from households to individuals, businesses, even nonprofits. We are a massive debt avalanche as a nation. 
so, you know, you could add more debt crisis to this list. It's not just the government. It's the incredible amount of student loan debt uh, that's never been seen before. It's finally now even exceeded uh, credit card debt in this country. According to Forbes, as of uh, June 2018, there are more than 44 million borrowers who collectively owe $1.5 trillion, trillion dollars with uh, student loan companies in debt to them. In the U.S. alone, uh, the average student in the class of 2016 graduated with $37,000 in student loan debt. If we include the cost of homeland security and transportation, uh, security to war and terrorism, isn't that the second largest expense after Social Security in our country? Uh, could a war or serious military event be expected? Will military spending decrease domestic spending, possibly, uh, if we have another war? Who will pay for all of this um, all this debt, all, this, um, all these expenses? Uh, will the government ask us uh, who have money, or will it come from people who don't have money? Yep. And what about health care? I mean, doesn't the ACA shift costs from one group of payers to another group? Will I be penalized if I have really good coverage or no coverage at all? What would happen to my coverage if ACA gets repealed? Um, if healthcare costs for a family of four, on average, $24,671 a year and expected to be $50,000 a year by 2025, okay, wow. that's double, that's double by 2025, six years away, people, and 75000 by 2030, 2030, doesn't that cause serious problems? I don't know if a lot of people even realize that their health care expenses cost, even right now, $24,000 this year for a family. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that it is going to explode like that, I think even fewer people realize. It's either coming out of your paycheck or it's being deducted by your employer. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, in certain areas, that's an income. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, someone's annual income. Yeah. Um, and so that that's a huge expense. I mean, not to mention 50000 75000 I mean, that's a good income <laughs> yeah. at that point. So, um, I mean, did you know, study by Institute of Medicine of $3 trillion, so $3 trillion spent on healthcare every year in, US, in the U.S., $750 billion goes to waste and fraud. Mm. Wow. So of the three trillion spent on healthcare each year in the U.S., 750 billion goes to waste and fraud. So what is the incentive of that waste and fraud to fix anything? I mean, don't they pay off politicians to not have to fix anything? Wouldn't it work better for you to work together as a family and keep money in the family? I mean, this is just going to be one of our biggest costs going forward, um, and people need to be aware of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and, and once again, we're looking at uh, taxpayers having to care for people uh, if they have to take less Social Security income. If that drops, right, who's going to cover those expenses for the elderly among us? If we have less people employed than we did in the year 2000, um, you know, somehow we've added 20 million jobs to our population since that time. How is, how is it possible that our unemployment rate is at 4%? Maybe it's higher, right? If the government doesn't help us get back to work, are they really fixing anything? Are jobs at McDonald's really seen as breadwinner jobs? Can you really buy cars and a house on what McDonald's would be willing to pay? Uh, so we're just laying out all these different examples of where we're really running up against hard times in this country. Uh, What about the interest on government debt, Holly? Yeah, so this is really interesting because a lot of people just talk about the debt level and they'll just say, oh, well, this is our debt. That's crazy. 
Um, but what's even crazier is the interest on that debt. Mm-hmm. And just like the astronomical numbers, in, in, in at least my perspective, um, that the interest alone ends up being. So um, obviously, when debt gets bigger, the interest on that debt also gets bigger. Um, when And when interest rates rise as they are, and they have been um, now, you know, in our, our time period now, in the last couple months, that puts more weight on the amount of both things. And the larger the interest payment must be, even as a country, we still depend on other things like roads or social welfare programs or anything we might want our country to do in the future. I mean, we're paying off the past. Um, so the federal government could soon pay more in interest on its debt than it spends on the military, Medicaid, or children's programs. Hmm. So within a decade, more than $90 billion in interest payments will be due annually. That's more than this year's deficit, right? Um, and that, that's just going to the interest payment. Wow. Yep, yep. Um, so that's within the next 10 years. So that's going to easily outpace spending on a myriad of our other programs. I mean, already the fastest growing major government expense, the cost of interest is on track to hit $390 billion by next year, which is nearly 50% more than in 2017. So in two years, wow. our interest is going to double. Um, and that's according to the Congressional Budget Office. Um, so in just one decade, the interest as a percentage of government spending will double. Um, mm. By 2020, we will spend more on interest than we do on kids, including education, food stamps, and aid to families. And that's according to, to um, the CBO. And, and that same CBO office is predicting at least trillion-dollar deficits every year for the next decade. I mean, where is all that money going to come from, guys? Will they increase taxes? Are they going to lower government spending? Are they going to cut social programs? Or even worse, are they going to borrow even more money? What impact will that have on your financial future? Where we will get the money, where will we get all the money, guys? Where are we going to get all the money to provide all the other services we want our government to provide for us if so much of our tax revenue we currently have today is going to service the interest on our debts, much less pay our debts down? I mean, when you think about all this, I guess the key element, we're not here to scare or, you know, just demoralize. It's important to look clearly at the fiscal situation. Do you think taxes, with all of what we've said, do you think taxes will be lower or higher in the future? Will they be higher in the future? Ask yourself that question. I don't care if you like the president. I don't like, I don't care if you like Congress or whatever. Just ask yourself that one question. Do I think taxes will be higher in the future? And finally, ask yourself this question. Do you want to pay those taxes? Do you want to pay those taxes, right? Now at the time, it, it's, it's really just looking at this as, as the start of a mini-series. So at this time of hearing, uh, tax day is just a few days away when we've dropped this episode. So you might be interested in the rest of what we have to say here, and we could not get these episodes out fast enough to get to you on this podcast. So, you know, we wanted to make a special thing available for you, and that is our uh, whole presentation on this tax miniseries has been designed as a recorded webinar. This is an unlisted private webinar link, but we want to give it to you privately, to our listeners. All you have to do is go to our show notes, and you'll see the link there. You don't have to sign up for anything. We don't need your email address for anything. We're just going to give this to you as a free resource uh, for our dear listeners. So uh, you can find it again on our show notes as a freebie for you this month. Uh, So we have so much more to cover. We will be getting through the rest of this webinar as a podcast over the next few weeks. And we'll be getting to the hope. Yeah. And the joy. Yes. (laughs) 
Thank goodness. Yeah, Not all doom and gloom. There's more good to come. And as we said, listen to the end because we can show you the more taxes you pay, the more wealth you can earn for yourself as well. So that's a strategy everybody needs to hear. Okay, so thank you all for joining us for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.